Welcome to Consumed, the podcast about people who eat things, drink things, think things, and make things. So, you know, everybody. I'm Jamie Lewis, and this seventh season, I speak with folks across California, from Chico to Santa Barbara, Humboldt and Grass Valley to Los Angeles. But always at the heart of it is the Central Coast. I hope you get to hear them all. Thank you for listening. Many thanks to my friend, James Onaveros for supporting the work of this podcast. James is the force behind the family of wines known as Ranchos de Anaveros in the Santa Maria Valley. And because all of our friends in the food and drink industry need a boost right now, I'm going to talk about how you can get your hands on some of his wine this winter. For the holidays, wine is the perfect locally made, handmade gift that directly supports those who work to produce it. And for January 1st and beyond, Drinking beautiful Burgundy-inspired Chardonnay and Pinot Noir is the perfect way to celebrate what we're all hoping is a kinder and gentler year. Visit the website for information on how to order Rancho Steanaveros wines, which can be shipped or delivered to your porch for free if you live around Santa Barbara County. To see what's available and to make your order, visit ranchosteanaveros.com. Cheers! Consumed is also sponsored in part by Slow Life Magazine, which has been sharing the stories of the San Luis Obispo community for over a decade. I write the food column for Slow Life, and most recently I covered dishes made from ingredients that aren't always common here on the Central Coast. I'm considering writing about Bao's steamed buns for the next column, but what do you think? Hit me up on the contact page at letsgetconsumed.com with your ideas for what to cover next. And if you want Slow Life Magazine delivered to your door every other month, visit slowlifemagazine.com. Husband and wife winemakers Mikey Juni and Gina Juni met several years ago, but the timing wasn't quite right that first go around. It wasn't until after Gina had traveled the world working harvests for a couple of years that she and Mikey fell in love. Their brands, Scar of the Sea and Lady of the Sunshine, produce small-scale, deeply personal wines that have a lot to say about where they come from and who makes them. In this episode, Gina talks about growing up watching her parents farm and make wine by biodynamic principles, and Mikey talks about his love for the ocean and how it influences his life and work. They also discuss Scar of the Sea cider and what makes it different from other ciders on the market, as well as the concept of a vigneron and fishing for rock cod. These two are fresh, smart, and driven, and I have no doubt you'll enjoy our discussion. Here are winemakers Mikey and Gina Juni. Hi, Mikey and Gina. How are you? Hey, Jamie. Good. Good. We're pretending that we haven't talked at all this morning for the sake of, of the podcast. So... Mikey was just telling me that today's kind of cleanup day for end of harvest. You don't have anything else that you're taking in? No. All of our fruit is in and all all of our cider is in. And we As of now, last week? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We, I still have cider fermenting. Um, and we just bottled our 2019 ciders that I blend in 2020 cider with to get the bubbles. So that's mm. a way of making natural sparkling cider mm-hmm. so I don't have to add yeast or sugar. And that just finished yesterday. Nice. So now it's officially just um, like the harvest cleanup. So it's just dialing in the equipment, putting tarps on things, covering mm-hmm. it up, making the winery win- winter ready. All the unsexy stuff. Of, yeah. <laughs> of cleanup, the reset, but then vacation. Yes, we are oh. going to Kauai. Um, <laughs> in two weeks. Yeah. Are they yes. going to let you in? 
Yeah, there's a um, a we 72 so. hour. We're hoping so. <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, there's a 72 hour um, testing leeway, so we're gonna get COVID tested on Monday or Sunday, and mm. then we fly out Wednesday, and we're nice. hoping the results come back quickly. Um, they should. They should. And then as long as we are negative COVID with through their like certified um, certified mm-hmm. uh, agency, aid, yeah, then we are yeah. don't have to quarantine. Very nice. This is random. Not what you expected to talk about. But do you know anybody who's had it? Um, yes. Question. Yes. Don't tell me who, obviously. But um, and unfortunately, we I know a few people that have died from it on the East Coast. Really? Um, mostly relatives of friends. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. It's hard here. I think um, our numbers are really, truly pretty low right. in Slow County compared to a lot of other places. And so um, I only know one person who's had, mm-hmm. who's, you know, been open about having it. Um, no, actually, now that I think about it, we know a number of people that have had it. Really? Mm-hmm. I think in our circle, mostly it's been mild cases of people that we've, that we know. Yeah. But it's been more tragic in bigger circles. And I actually, yeah. no one in our like immediate circles and no one in Slow County that I know, okay. but people outside of Slow County that we've talked to. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Fingers crossed for that vaccine and all good things hopefully coming mm-hmm. um so you also just told me mikey that you're doing uh am i allowed to talk about the new project you're meeting with somebody at it's not necessarily a new project okay. um raj par has like um moved up to the central coast mm-hmm. um well he's from santa barbara lived in santa barbara and he just moved up to uh, cambria and he farms oh. a vineyard in san simeon mm-hmm. and he has a bunch of really fun varietals there and so he um had some mondoose which is a savoir varietal Mm. um just finishing its fermentation and he pressed it in his basket press and i picked up um the pressings and it was he did a light press and then i co-fermented cider on top of it um and so he's coming to help taste and check out what's going on but we're not i'm not sure it's a new project maybe just a new wine or new cider okay or whatever it's gonna be exciting yeah san simeon vineyards are always very intriguing because it's like how do you ripen that yeah how does that happen he was harvesting very late um and and he doesn't get things overly ripe so Mm -hmm. um it took a it takes a lot of patience to have a vineyard there uh i want to start with (laughs) something about failure have you ever had a weird have you ever had a huge um like a huge lot of something just not turn out I'm gonna ask you Gina first have you ever had (laughs) anything (laughs) I know I'm so cruel um no thankfully nice I think the biggest challenge that we have and in our style of winemaking and with our approach of natural winemaking is we do limit the tools that we can use mm-hmm. during our fermentations. Um, and during our grape growing. And during our grape growing, of course. Um, but specifically during cooler vintages when we are doing native fermentations and we can't get enough heat mm-hmm. built up in the fermentation to finish the fermentation strong and have the yeast consume all the residual sugars. Yeah. We've had slow and sluggish fermentations that have taken, you know, months and months and months to finally reach dryness and that makes me grow a few more gray hairs well and that's when our winery just looks like a giant fort there's like tarps all over the place and we have like heat lamps and mikey's an excellent fort builder because we shovel the space heaters into one corner and tarp all the barrels we've learned from that and final push now we ferment all of our white wines outside during 
harvest mm -hmm. and it's really been considerably warm during the harvest here yeah. so none of our the heat waves worked in our favor or sluggish as far as for sure fermentations this year but unpredictable yeah. too right mm -hmm. more more inputs yeah or i should say less inputs but more factors i guess what do you mean there just if something's outside i always think of it as being yeah, less controllable you know, it's definitely not though it's f funny people are like um i guess a, a conventional um, winemaking in California has been like you should ferment your whites cool mm -hmm. or cold and that way you retain these fruit esters that's not natural winemaking so uh, those you can't least. you can't yeah. ferment cool with na with native yeast um, they will get sluggish towards the end and you'll have a very stressful end of harvest mm -hmm. and so if you don't if you take that out of the equation you're going to ferment as warm as you can to make sure that things finish and yeah. and so by being in a cellar it's going to be cool yeah um and so outside we monitored it this year and i would say this has been one of the warmer harvests with multiple heat waves for sure and neither of our white wines ever got hotter than like 80 degrees during fermentation which is we're doing all barrel ferments too and the barrels are actually quite an insulated safe environment mm, especially mm. for being outside and they're lower in volume so it's all also considerable how much volumes in something so if you have a big tank of wine that's fermenting there's a thermo like thermodynamics of it that it's going to get really warm yeah and it's going to it's like exponential those, right exactly. right that's but a well idea. a barrel only has 45 gallons in it when it's fermenting and so there's not enough mass to um, maintain, maintain heat. this heat mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it does like fluctuate with day and nighttime temperatures yeah. and so it's like this kind of sweet spot of size which is why barrel fermentations have always been around and are very yeah. popular. Um, like stood the test of time. Yeah, yeah. Like you can. Yeah. You don't well try said. to reinvent that wheel. It's just a really good fermentation size. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we went deep really fast. So tell <laughs> me, <laughs> what I know about you, Mikey. I mean, we've known each other for. I know. I just uh, like searched your name on my email and was like, oh my gosh. What was it? It was the first like <laughs> it was a cider email. Yes. Um, and it must have been in 2012 or 2013. <laughs> That little girl that came out earlier? Yeah, she, she was, was born in 2012. Yeah, I was going to say, it was at a different house and it was... <laughs> different time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. And what I remember about you is I was doing a story on cider and somehow your name came up with, I think it must have been with Neil. Um, and he, I think it was him anyway, and he said, you know, there's this young guy doing... Um, he's, he's just messing around with cider and you might want to talk to him. And so I got in touch with you and I have to say, I remember you being like, like a puppy. You were so excited about what you were doing. You were so excited to be written about. And I just remember I got off the phone and I was like, there's something really great about this guy. Um, just really sincere and really, um, you know, well-read and re well-spoken. Um, and then I remember you dropped off some wine and some cider. Do you remember going around yeah, the back of the house? of course. Okay, so what you don't know about that day is you dropped it off. I came home and I got it. My neighbor across the street, this older guy, came over to the house and he's like, I saw some young guy go in your backyard 
with something and I just want to let you know I'm watching because he was afraid that you were like an intruder or something oh, no. <laughs> and I was like no no no, no. he's just a good guy <laughs> brought me some stuff but I'll just never forget that because like he's looking at Mikey Juni thinking he's an intruder that's funny I know but anyway I'm um, scary yeah super scary but yes I remember um loving that Pinot and I'm just also a huge fan of the cider you do because it's so different I I find it to be really different from anybody else's yeah um but yeah, so I knew you then. We had a photo shoot at one point yep, for a that story. Was the other emails that came up. It was like yeah. Jensen Larder meet photo shoot. Yep. At Montana de Oro. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, where are these pictures? Uh, they're, they're beautiful. I'll show you. They're really good. I don't know if I've yeah. seen them. Okay, but so this is funny too. I'm I gonna... had hair then though. <laughs> <laughs> a different life. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you should know though. The funny thing about that one was I. I said, hey, can you come and do this? And, you know, you can bring a friend, you can bring a, like, a lady friend or whatever. And you were like, I don't have a lady friend. I'm going to come by myself. And I remember thinking, Mikey doesn't have a lady friend. So that was it long <laughs> enough ago that you, you've been in the picture yeah, since, I think. for sure. Yeah. So how did you two meet? Uh, we met in 2014, um, and we were introduced by Andrea, uh, Andrea De Paolo. Um, okay, yeah. at Chamisol yeah. and we both worked at Chamisol so I worked at Chamisol in 2012 10 and 2010 and 11 oh, okay. and mm-hmm. Gina um, and I from then uh, left and worked at uh, other places and became good friends with Andrea and mm-hmm. the Chamisol team and then they hired Gina in 2014 mm-hmm. and Dre like called me the day she hired Gina and was like I just hired the coolest girl in the world oh. you should, should come in for tasting and so I came in and uh and met Gina and then we dated for that summer and it was just not right timing and I was in college yeah, Gina was oh you were you're yeah, still at Cal I was, Poly mm-hmm. okay. I was doing the wine program at Cal Poly yeah Gina um, was 22 and I was 26 yeah. mm-hmm. and we were just which isn't a, like it was just different weird timing where Gina was just starting her wine career yeah. and I was in this like really grinding phase of mine. You had just started Scar of the Sea. The I was previous like, year. Yeah, yeah, mid like in the early years of Scar of the Sea mm-hmm. and Gina had like Gina was the puppy that you were just talking about. Yep. And so she like You were already an old dog. Yeah, I was definitely a tired dog by that point. No, Gina needed and wanted to go travel the world and she did. And mm. she uh went to Beaujolais and to New Zealand and to Oregon and to Napa and got all this experience and what span of time did you do all that in this was graduated in 2015 uh-huh. and then uh, that was in June of 2015 and then that August I went to France mm-hmm. worked a vintage there beginning of 2016 um, went to the Southern Hemisphere and worked six months in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. For the second half of 2016, went to Oregon, worked Crazy up in the Willamette people. Valley, and then came back down to Napa in the beginning of 2017. And, and then, then that's, that's when, when we when reconnected. We reconnected. Yep. Yeah. And then the time was right. And then the time was right. Yep. Good. Yeah. Good. How did you get into wine? Did you have? Did you grow up with parents who drank wine? I grew up with parents who drank wine, made wine, farmed grapes. <laughs> wow. And where are you from? Um, uh, I grew up in Orange County. Okay. And that's where my parents fell in love with wine, wining and dining in a completely different industry. Um, and then we moved to Placerville up in Northern California in 2000. Okay. And 
we moved from Huntington Beach up to Placerville, about 90 acres, planted 15 acres of grapes. Very different. And built a little mom and pop um, winery and tasting room. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Frank and Tina still run Narrow Gate Vineyards and have a tasting room and a winery. Um, Frank's been farming Narrow Gate, a certified Demeter Biodynamics since 2008 certified and been farming that way since 2005. Mm -hmm. So this is like in your... I mean, you were in high school watching your parents do that. I was coming home from high school helping my dad with crush yep. and punch downs late at night with him. That's yeah. kind of where I got, I mean, obviously got the wine bug. Yeah. And Frank um, is, and Frank and Tina, Gina's like biggest fans. And so have like helped guide her. And then she also understood at an early age how important farming was. Mm-hmm. And in particular, uh, their style of biodynamic farming. And so every place that she worked for, during that stint where she traveled the world was biodynamic mm-hmm. or some sort of biodynamic practices. And so she was able to see how Burn Cottage farmed that way and how they made their wines that way and how Bergstrom farmed practicing mm-hmm. that way and made wines that way and how Adamus mm-hmm. did in Napa. Mm-hmm. And so was, I know watching her, it's like cool to see the things she picked up or things she was like, that's silly and like, don't do. <laughs> Um, which tends to be more things than we pick up, honestly. Is that um, right? I mean, that's me speaking for myself. I, mm-hmm. I guess I, I learn more from what not to do um, than what to do. Which is a great teacher. Yeah. What not to do is a great mm-hmm. teacher. I think at the beginning of my wine journey, especially being introduced to wine at such a young age and not being able to fully appreciate it until I was of age, that being 21, mm-hmm. um, I think... Pursuing the farming aspect of it and trying to understand my dad's approach to farming through biodynamics versus conventional farming was the most intriguing thing at the time that kind of roped me in. And so it was all through college doing projects on, um, you know, challenging conventional ways of farming and learning about genetically modified um, crops and, and alternative styles of farming. That kind of opened the doors into vineyard and farming. And then once I was proper age and was able to fully indulge in the industry that's Mm -hmm. when I fell into winemaking Mm -hmm. and and kind of down that rabbit hole which was amazing because then I could now marry farming and winemaking together yeah which is a special gift to be able to know that intimately to see it because there are a lot of a lot of winemakers who really don't have a lot of touch with the dirt no I mean Gina is what we would call a vigneron so like even within the world of winemakers who do touch the dirt a lot there's even a smaller amount who actually grow the grapes that they make and not just I mean by owning a vineyard but like actually drive the tractor actually do the pruning farming and make the wine it's a very small amount of people and Gina does that on the central coast Mm. Um, and in the Edna Valley where there's even fewer amount of people that own and uh, farm small vineyards and it's all about Mm. scale right like I'm farming and making wine because the scale of my operation is manageable because it is a one-person operation yeah um, yeah, it's human scale. Yeah. It's not out of proportion. Yeah, versus yeah. like the amount of acreage in Edna Valley is massive, and yeah. there's only a handful of small enough vineyards that one person could actually manage. Right. I'm farming six and a half acres. and Like what is the size that one person can farm, and what is the amount of wine that one person can farm? It's yeah. like pretty close to what Gina's doing. So what what is, if you translate it, that into, you know, your case production, what does that wind up being? So my total production is about 1,200 cases this yeah. year, and that's kind of where I'm maxed out mm-hmm. as far as what I want to pursue and dedicate my time to. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, 
it's a healthy enough size to where it creates the momentum and that snowball of revenue that I can continue what I'm doing. Right. Um, and also balance time between the vineyard and the winery. So yeah, and have a life and sleep and eat. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, wait, what? And, sleep and do and all eat. that stuff. That's important. <laughs> and go to Kauai. Yes, yes. And, and take vacation time and right. do mm-hmm. yoga. Yeah. So your your winery, you had already started that before you met Mikey or before you got involved winemaking wise with Mikey. That came into fruition it was almost the a, year we met. Ton, the, the, okay. It actually fa- like falls into when we started dating again and Mikey was the a huge piece of the puzzle of of kind of pushing me off the ledge saying you want to make your own wine you need to start doing it this year and I was kind of in this pivotal point of my career of pursuing an assistant winemaking position and trying to you know slave away at a winery to climb the ladder Mm. of gaining more responsibility and pushing you know the limits of how much I could learn in the vineyard and winery um and is that at Chamisol? That, no, this was when I was in Napa. Oh, okay. A few years later, yeah. Um, and Gina was at the point where she was searching for an assistant winemaker job, and it's like, one, finding that, jumping that gap is the hardest j- gap to jump. So from going from seller hand or seller person to the next level of assistant winemaker, it, mm-hmm. it seems like it can be very hard. And so Gina was in this position where she was just like wasn't finding the job she wanted, and so she made the job she wanted by mm-hmm. making her own wine. Yep. And then, and then the Shen Vineyard kind of fell in her lap through a different, uh, through a different path. And so then she became a farmer and winemaker. Well, it was at that time, you know, I was immersed into the community of Napa, and there's lots of beautiful things about it. But there's also a whole other aspect of it, um, where it's not like I was going to be able to afford land there and, yeah. and farm a vineyard or afford to make my wines there unless it was a special circumstance and so mm-hmm. it was around the time that Mikey and I met and I moved back down to the central coast and there was a couple that owned um, the six and a half acre vineyard I now farm mm-hmm. I'd met them in college they were making their wines coincidentally at Shamazal when I was there and so it was all these pieces that came together and they reached out to me and wanted to move away from a vineyard management company who was caring for their vineyard and mm-hmm. have a independent person care for their vineyard so it would get enough of the attention it needed. Um, So when you say that's you, are you the only two hands that touch that vineyard? Yes. No. Well, (laughs) Mikey gets roped in. No, no, but (laughs) other than that, that's not fair. Uh, Well, I mean... Gina hires people to come help her um, for like some of the bigger tasks. So she, Mm -hmm. Gina does do a lot of the pruning, Mm -hmm. but then she has kind of her lady crew come help her finish pruning Mm -hmm. we hire help us to pick the grapes okay um we hire people to help us on a few other of the canopy management roles yeah um but all the decisions are well the decisions and honestly most of the handwork and all the tractor driving and like it's just when certain things are very time sensitive that it's like we need more hands to do this quickly yeah um we work with coastal vineyard care um and and they come out and help us. There's, like Mikey was saying, there's time-sensitive um, activities that take place during mm-hmm. the season. So I have a wonderful lady crew that I've been working with the past few years um, that help with pruning because that is very time-sensitive, mm-hmm. thinning as well, and then for harvest. Um, I couldn't do it without that crew. It, there's not enough days in the year <laughs> <Who's> <laughs> or the, hours in the day. Who's the, the chief on that crew? Do you know her first name? That group, that, or is it just a? It's always a different group. Oh, 
know who I mean you, yeah who, who the, you with? my contact her name is Rosa okay and she's an absolute doll she works um, on and off with coastal vineyard services yes and then um, it's a bunch of her gals I yeah. just ask because the next um, episode I'm recording is with Alondra who is the supervisor for one of those groups mm. um, and I'm so excited I had no idea how many women crews there are out there that that's what they I mean that is what they do it's all women and it's this like understood thing that it's going to be a lady crew I just I had no idea Ben Taylor told me about it of course yeah we love Ben yeah 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 no um I mean not to toot our own horn but toot it there is a difference when it comes to specific work within the vineyard it's not all about muscle and strength it's Mm -hmm. about attention to detail and placement and a delicacy um and yeah and there's something that works there there's something that works exactly gotcha yeah Yeah. um so you have lady of the sunshine Mm -hmm. which where does that name come from what's that inspiration it's just a name it's a fun name it was inspired by a song by angus stone um Hmm. And it's something that just came into fruition a few years ago. Um, I thought it was a wonderful way to represent kind of the bridge between farming and winemaking. And um, yeah. Yeah. And the focus there, do you have a varietal focus or is it mostly just like a geographical focus? So the center of Lady of the Sunshine is at the Shen Vineyard. And so since that's where I put all of my energy and time um, from what I produce from the Shen Vineyard is Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Those are the two varietals planted. And then outside of the Shen Vineyard, I focus on working on with other vineyards that farm organically or better, mm. um, or practicing organic at least. And so I make uh, Sauvignon Blanc from the Stoltman Vineyard as of this year. Mm-hmm. I produce a Chardonnay Sauvignon Blanc blend from the Oliver's Vineyard that's owned by Tally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now I've been working with my parents' vineyard, Narrowgate Vineyards, up in the Sierra Foothills, to produce a Primitivo and a Gamay that oh, we recently wow. grafted over. Oh, wow. So very excited for those vines. Well, uh, my husband and I just came home yesterday from Grass Valley and Nevada oh, cool. City. And so is is dark, like dark Primitivo and those kinds of um, deep reds, is that what grows there? We never went wine tasting up there. We're a bit further east than okay. Grass Valley. So it's going to be right between Sacramento and South Lake Tahoe okay. off the Highway 50 there. Yeah. Um, we're in a region called Pleasant Valley. It's a little pocket where mostly roan varietals are grown. Mm. But since it is the Sierra Foothills and there are no rules, there's a multitude of varietals that grow up there. Yeah. I think my dad has over 10 different varieties planted on the on property. But he focuses uh, on like southern roan mm-hmm. varieties. Okay. And Very then he planted Primitivo yeah. because it's like he's in gold country and it's... Um, that Primitivo and Zinfandel are like that's kind of their home. Mm-hmm. Some yeah. of the oldest vineyards in California and can are handle in that the zone. continental mm-hmm. climate and the the heat during the summers and snow in the winter. Yeah, yeah. it's very different grape growing than where we're at because mm-hmm. we are more Mediterranean or more coastal. So we're we're we don't get nearly as cold or as hot. And where Frank is is farming way more like what Gina said, continental. So mm-hmm. it's like shorter season because they get snow in the winter and then um, they get hotter in the summer so they ripen their grapes quicker yeah the i'm thinking about the rosemary i'm sorry the oliver vineyard oliver's vineyard um chardonnay that you get from there so you said you do a sauvignon blanc and chardonnay blend Mm -hmm. so i'm thinking you know i've had so many chardonnays from 
from the tally folks and they have a style for sure mm-hmm. but i think it's really fun to taste different interpretations of those so what does that taste like i mean are you doing fully natural is it like un unfined unfiltered yeah um so i picked the sauvignon blanc and the chardonnay on the same day it's in I call it, the wine itself is called Chevy, inspired mm. by the wines of the Cheverny region within Loire Valley, where they traditionally blend Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc together. Um, but yeah, the grapes come to the winery. Um, I, f- I like to foot tread all my white grapes to mm-hmm. get a little bit of tannin and texture before fermentation. Mm-hmm. And then everything's fermented with native yeast and neutral French oak barrels. Um, I age the wine on lease. Uh, only thing added is a minimal amount of sulfur and then bottle unfiltered. Um, and that's the, the, the to be said across yeah. all of our wines. So yeah. um, we don't really love the word natural wine, um, but the wines we make are farmed with intent in a vineyard and organic practicing organic or biodynamic. And then in the winery, we don't add anything other than a small amount of sulfur. So we don't add nutrient or we don't add yeast or bacteria and we don't filter or find the wines. Um, that doesn't mean the wines are faulted or weird or cloudy. Mm-mm. In fact, our wines are very pristine and finished. Um, and that just takes traditional like, in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we enjoy good wines. And so w- that's our main intent is to make delicious wines, but we can do that how they've done, been doing it for hundreds of years. Um, without adding a bunch of things. For you, Mikey, I mean, you didn't grow up on an organic or biodynamic vineyard with your parents. Um, You're from Southern California, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so has that changed for you? Um, Yeah, it's a constant evolution, and I think we are still evolving um, as far as, like, our style and how we farm and how we make wines. Um, I didn't start Scar the Sea with the intent of making wines like this. I I did start Scar the Sea with making wines um, with a minimal... In, like intervention intent um i didn't know what natural wine was when i was 23 years old in 2012 people weren't talking about it the same way then either no and um but i think i did know that good ingredients make good things um and whether that's food or craftsmanship across any spectrum and, and wine also included so it just um i i've been learning as we drink so my quickest way to learn is by drinking good wines and so and then because then we jump online and we read about the wines or people talk to us about how the wines were grown um and so yeah uh, and gina's had a giant influence on um my understanding of biodynamics and uh organic farming and gina is also very um disciplined as far as like no, it needs to be certified or no, there's no shortcuts in this. Mm -hmm. And so I have a ton of respect for that. And that's helped me help. That's helped guide my view on certification and organics and biodynamics. And so, yeah. So it's not this loosey goosey. No, it's not a term used to sell wine. It's a a term used to farm a vineyard and it's a term used to keep people honest Mm -hmm. and accountable for how they're saying they're farming a vineyard. Yeah. Well, we want our brands and everything that we are pursuing to be built on transparency and intent. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's farming or winemaking and the the fact that we're limiting so many tools that we can use, we want to be dogmatic about our approach and stand by it. And and we also want our wines to compete with the top quality wines, wines that exist yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. But we want to do it in a way that's true to what we believe in. Well, and it helps elevate um, yeah. farming and our environment like the how we can benefit our environment with what we're doing and And this is our bubble and so how can we impact yes our bubble yes 
Yeah, bubble's a big word lately. <laughs> this is yeah. our bubble. This is our bubble. Well, and you know the old thing about a rising tide lifts all boats. I mean, it really is true. You you can lift everybody's. Um, you can lift the perception of where we are farming and making wine to the public, but you can also help your neighbors. And yeah. I mean, it has a long no, the, impact. The way Gina's farming right now, she's farming biodynamic in the Edna Valley, certified through Demeter. And sh- this season, she sprayed for f- to control fungus. She sprayed cinnamon oil, so cinerate. And I don't for think... For mildew control. Yeah, for mildew mm-hmm. control. And no one's used that here. And yeah. Gina's fruit was immaculately clean like there was not powdery mildew and so there is other options to the giant assortment of chemicals that we can use for that and they can be very natural options that work really well and so Gina's proving to people if they ask or if they follow along that that type of farming can work in a high mildew pressure that's so close to like we are four miles from the ocean um yeah it's possible does it make everything smell good it smells amazing. <laughs> Can I come next time? <laughs> yeah. It dissipates quite quickly, the yeah. aromas. Um, but yeah, it's a good perk. <laughs> that is a good perk. It can yeah. smell worse, uh-huh. that's for sure. Exactly. I want to take a minute to tell you a little bit about one of my sponsors. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality products and exceptional customer service. Community-owned Slow Food Co-op buys from local producers, ensuring they offer their customers real and sustainable food. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and environmentally sustainable packaging. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. Mikey, you started Scar of the Sea and named it after a place in... Tasmania. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's right. When I met you, we talked a lot about cider there. Can you tell a little bit about why cider? Why cider? Why is that something you decided to do? Yeah. I mean, um, when I started Scar of the Sea, I wanted to make wine and cider. I see cider as an uh, another type of wine. It's an apple wine mm-hmm. instead of a grape wine. Um and it's also has a very long heritage in America. It's one of the oldest beverages in America. Um, I'm I wanted to make it because there was apples grown in Sea Canyon, and I, and it was like, whoa, there's there's apples right here, and they're amazing old Sea Canyon, and and so I just took the logic logical approach of winemaking and applied it to cider. And so I didn't reinvent any wheels. There's people doing this and have have been doing it forever. Um, and But I've just continued. I've been making cider as long as I've been making wine, and I still love cider. We drink cider all the time. Um, we don't like sweet. Um, I can't say sweet. We don't like really commercially produced yeah, ciders. There's a big difference um, there. We, I don't mind a sweet cider if there's enough acid in the cider to keep it balanced. Um but we tend to enjoy drier ciders and and drink them at different times in wine, kind of more day drinking with cider or um, like kind of pre-dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be refreshing or work well with salty foods and cheeses. And Hot day. Mm-hmm. Hot day also. Yeah. Very refreshing. Why is your cider different? Because it is. <laughs> it for sure is. Um, I think my cider is different. Um, 
I love that you're restating it in the form of the of you know like the full. Yeah, no, I'm just trying. <laughs> to think. Just like you're in grade school. I'm trying to. Think. I think my. <laughs> I think it is because you've. I mean, you stay so true to the same way you make your white wines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't try to rush anything, and so I think ciders are often rushed. Um, and it's a product of because cider is a different economic game than wine. And so if I was just a cidery, I would have a really hard time to make money and stay afloat. But my wine business, my winery keeps me in the green and it allows me to make cider and not make cider with just money in mind. So like for example, with Tin City or something, when I was a part of that, we had to crank ciders out all the time as fast as we could to keep the cash flow because it's such a low margin product. So you have to make a lot of it in order to be healthy as a business. And I don't have to do that for Scar of the Sea. So I'm not cutting any corners as far as making things quick. And so I'm allowing the natural process to happen and to and it, it takes a long time. So my cider takes a full year to make. Like, I, Why, Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Why is it limited um, uh, margin? Is Are the apples super expensive? No, the apples aren't super expensive, but the consumer doesn't want to pay much money for cider. Ah, uh, yeah. Wine. Um, Isn't that interesting? And so, like, the, we've, we, Americans have correlated beer with cider yes. and cider with beer. And beer is a low-margin product. It's made from water. They make beer year-round. Cider should be more correlated to wine. It's probably never going to happen. Um, but so I make mine like wine. I don't make it like a beer. I don't make cider in two months or a month i'm i make cider and it takes like basically 14 months to make my cider um and it's aged in wood for 12 months it's unfined and unfiltered it's uses natural yeast it comes from an orchard that is farmed with zero inputs so all that all they do is prune and pick um and so it's not a it's the opposite of commercial and scalable um, and which is why it's complex. Which is why it's unique in the world of in the world of American cider. Yes. Um, there's I'm not the only one doing this kind of cider. Yeah. There's a, a a a good amount of really good American ciders. Um, but that's why mine's unique within this zone. It's mm-hmm. Just not rushed and, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that the people who listen to this podcast, all six of them, hey you guys, <laughs> um, hey guys. <laughs> Aloha. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Dad. Um, <laughs> like listening to things outside of what you do for a living. So I know that, I know at least, Mikey, you're a big fisherman, right? I want to call myself a big fisherman. We, tr- but you we love try it. to fish. Yeah. We, we say we're good at fishing, bad at catching. Yeah. So. Yes. <laughs> we're very novice fishermen that yeah. love it. And yeah. most of all, we just love the ocean. And drinking cider on the ocean. Yeah, I God, think you could do that worse. <laughs> I got a boat um, because I found myself. I didn't grow up boating. I didn't know anything about a boat until I got my first boat like five years ago. And I found that I was missing my connection with the ocean. I when I lived down in Southern California, I surfed every day. I could be in the ocean way more. It was just less of a fickle ocean. So the surf yeah. was better. The water was warmer. And up here, I found that I was losing that connection, so I needed to find another way to stay connected. Mm-hmm. And so that was by buying a little Boston Whaler. Oh, and I didn't know you owned it. Yeah, I've I've since sold the Boston Whaler, and we have a different boat now um, named Camel. 
which is a really amazing boat. Um, <laughs> but the Boston Whaler was an awesome first boat that I shared with my buddy and we and continue to learn how to fish and mostly just kind of try to be connected with the ocean. Um, and so just yeah. log up here. If you want to surf, you gotta be like, you almost have to be a glutton for punishment, right? It's so cold. <laughs> but you just have to really be um, in tune with the conditions. So, like, mm -hmm. uh, you can't just be, like, a fair-weather surfer up here. You have to know what the wind's doing, what the tide's doing, where the swell's coming from. Because the, the spots, the surf spots are so far apart. So you, you need to be very strategic on where you go to surf and what time you're going to get there. And, mm -hmm. and then, yeah, and then when you're there, it's, like, it's not like surfing in Southern California. There's a lot of water. There's big waves in the winter. Um and so that's all fun and I surf as much as I can, but I also love sitting on the boat and catching rockfish and coming home and figuring out how we're going to make dinner and mm. go out and with no intent of seeing whales be surrounded by oh. whales. And, um, so there's like those just beautiful things. Um, isn't it incredible here? It's incredible. The, the amount of, um, I mean, we have a hundred miles of coastline in our county, and fifty of them are protected, federally protected. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, just this beautiful, you know, Highway One, we, the wildlife, the whale watching, the the um, elephant seals, the monarchs—they all choose to be here. Mm -hmm. We didn't decide that. Yeah, we fell in love with the dunes during this COVID um, time period, and uh, they closed the dunes to off-roading, yeah. which was a giant blessing in my opinion yeah um and uh and so we hiked out to the dunes a bunch and like we live in pismo so it's easy and it was oh, just incredible that. the the high dunes and the the, his, the, the history the of the dunites yes. and fascinating and yeah. just like the beauty of the dunes is like it's un it's it's hard to describe and yeah. it's crazy that i've lived here for 15 years and like I had been out there, but never really like paid attention. And when you go out there, it's just, I think it's one of the prettiest places on our coast. I do too. And it's one of the largest dune systems in North America is the Oceano Guadalupe yeah. dunes. And the dunites, I know I sound, I sound like a stalker. I just am very curious <laughs> about it because I grew up in Napomo mm. and I never spent mm. time out there. Never. Um, and now I know so much more about it. The dunites, I mean, Ansel Adams was in there, the yeah. photographer, John Cage, the composer, and then John Steinbeck spent a bunch of time there. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of cool books about the Dunites that yeah. we've been we fell down a rabbit hole and like um, read a book called the called Dunites that gave a really cool history of of some of the main characters within yeah. the Dunites. And then Gina just got me a book called The Face of the um, The Face of the Clam, the Face of the Clam, which was written <laughs> by a Dunite while he was living as a Dunite. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, and then just all their little coves that they had, like when we hike out there, we'll go try to find these like actual coves that they lived in. And like the idea that the water table is only a few feet under the, under the, under the right. sand, which is how they were able to have water and gardens and, gardens, mm -hmm. and they would just go clamming and they'd get arrested for poaching and spend a little bit in jail and then get back to the dunes and like and weren't they naked a lot there was one guy i'm forgetting his name he was a nudist and a poet but they all weren't very naked um but okay. there was one guy who like was known for being a nudist um 
I'm trying to spread ruin rumors. Yeah. You can tell you're like, no, no. Yeah. He's not naked a lot. He's a nudist and he's a poet. And, and, and they, the they came one. out with a thing called the Dune Form, uh-huh. um, which was like the West Coast take on like the New Yorker. And yes. uh, in fact, there's a winery called the Dunites. Um, I've heard of And that. it's our yeah. good friends, Tyler and Rachel. And they are who introduced me to the Dunites. And like um, their labels kind of designed around the dune form yeah and a lot of the quotes and things and it's a really cool the history of the dunites is uh, it's another little rabbit hole but it's very no it's cool totally history. a rabbit hole yeah and i know that the oceano depot museum has one of the original structures inside I, at least i don't know that i've heard that they have they've recreated one of the dunite structures inside the little That's museum cool. which guys should go i should go too <laughs> um well, what's it like to be, um, you may be tired of answering this, but what's it like to be married and doing the same kind of work together? Maybe like, let's keep it, let's keep it positive. What's the, <laughs> I know that it is positive, you guys, no, but of course it's positive. what's the, what's the best part of working with Mikey and what's the best part of working with Gina? Mm, you can start. Oh, thanks, babe. <laughs> I think the best part about working together and, and having our own brands, um, but doing it together under the same winery um, is the fact that we get to bounce ideas so frequently off de- off of each other. Um, just the other day, we got to taste through our whole entire cellar. It was, it was this past weekend on Sunday afternoon. We just spent the whole weekend wow. tasting through each other's wines. Mm-hmm. And we can be tough on each other or soft and, and fall down rabbit holes of discussing certain wines or places in which we work with, um, that's kind of the beauty, the most beautiful thing I think that we get to share. It's, it is this intimate side of each other's businesses that we get to be a part of, and especially something that is so representative of what we are creating as two different people and knowing each other so well. Yeah. And on that level of being husband and wife and then getting to experience what we create as a reflection of who we are. Yeah. I, I very much see that of in our winemaking. Yeah, and because you know each other. So it's like, yeah. this isn't really you. You know, you taste it and it's like, 100%. This yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's a good answer. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I guess mine would be very similar, <laughs> similar to Gina's. Uh, you know, it's crazy because I'm not sure either of us would be able to be in a very healthy relationship if it wasn't like this because we both have some level of obsession with our work Mm -hmm. and so we're able to actually spend a lot of time together in Mm -hmm. in a in a different scenario we wouldn't and i think it would be an unhealthy it could be an unhealthy relationship and ours is definitely not because we spend so much time together because we work together we're both workaholics you know in a non about things we're passionate yeah i guess that's a dirty word but it's not for us um and so that's like my favorite part about working with Gina is that we both um, love what we do and and we're able to spend time with each other while we do it. do it together, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'm sure there will be challenges like when we have kids and how that's going to work. And, yeah. and so we're constantly trying to evolve our businesses to, to be able to address that when that time comes. I guess the other part of my favorite part about working with Gina is it goes and it, it's also continuous with what I just said, but it is because I get to see what Gina does and like mm-hmm. how amazing her wines are and how um, thoughtful her farming is. And then 
being able to watch her farm a vineyard and transform those grapes into that wine and then taste that wine together. Mm. And it's like, oh my gosh, like this is the most next level wine. And I couldn't be more proud and like happy. And, um, and so that's probably the coolest part Mm -hmm. of working with each other. Yeah. You have the fast track to growing yourself also because you have this relationship where you can talk very openly and learn from one another um, because maybe you have more years doing it like professionally outside of college, but you've got this. I mean, you've been start to finish with that same style. So I could see you really complimenting one another. And, and yeah, I agree. If you were doing something, if either one of you was outside the industry, I think the growth for the winemaker wouldn't be as fast. Yeah. I mean, we're able to like, full. we, mm-hmm. we, we want to drink wine every day and like we want to drink wine not just to drink wine but to learn more about wine and so like we open bottles all the time and and we have a equal amount of interest in learning about that wine and so that's a healthy exercise we do as a couple and it's useful for us to continue to learn and evolve and become the best farmers and winemakers we can you know so there's a giant advantage mm-hmm. with that do you ever want to buy property? Of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> to have your very, very, very own? Of no, course, I mean, I but... think eventually we're going to move up to Placerville and um, what? work um, and farm Gina's family's vineyard. Um, Guys. There's, uh, we don't need to buy something if there's already something for yeah. us to, to kind of continue the legacy of. Um, that doesn't mean we won't be a part of this community. We, we're trying to figure out how to continue to be involved down here how and to be in two places at and once. i don't yeah. want to speak ahead of where we are because we're that's not even right. on our agenda yeah. right now right um but we're not like actively looking for property to plant mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of vineyards anyway and i i find it really rewarding to work with the vineyards that are already in the ground yeah. and continue to help farmers push towards better farming mm-hmm. um my family's property is obviously very sentimental for for me and for both of us and so my parents are looking towards their next chapter of retirement in fading out of um you know working like dogs every day owning their own business and so we are trying to piece together the puzzle of how do we unite scar of the sea lady of the sunshine and narrowgate vineyards and pursue farming and keep narrowgate vineyards thriving and and um, going and in the right direction. Personal decisions you may uh-huh. want to make too about yeah. your lives. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all. That's all. A few years out. Yep. Um, lots of cards on the table, but it's like yeah. a puzzle. It's a puzzle. <laughs> a puzzle of life. Yes. yes. Well, I it's always exciting ask, though. It yeah. is exciting. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you guys! I, you know, from on this side of things, I'm a bit older than you, and um, yeah, things get locked in really pretty deeply and you know you start on this this cycle of you know maintaining rather than growing Mm -hmm. and you are in the growing Mm -hmm. phase and it's exciting to see for sure so grow 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 um let me ask you what you would eat uh, on your deathbed (laughs) i know casual casual question oh how many options do we get you just pick whatever just one Oh my gosh! Well, no, if there's full two, out dinner. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, it would probably finish with an it's it. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I have to think about the the the, 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 
the beginning and middle, but it would end have with you, an it's it. Have you been to the it's it factory? <laughs> no, but I just have a new recent obsession. We got to get you to the factory because it's right. What is it like is Mountain it? View or something? Oh, I, I don't, don't know. know. There's a I sign on the freeway. I haven't it's done enough it's. research yet. <laughs> oh, they're so good. Okay. I love that it would end with that. It would end with an it's it. Okay. Um, it would probably include some sort of pasta, mm-hmm. like a puttanesca or mm. something of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. The best one you've Pasta. Had. Just pasta. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you I would probably it. say the same thing, Mikey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love pasta and pizza, but what would I have on my deathbed? That's a hard question. A fish that you caught? Yeah. Me, maybe like scallops that we caught. Scallops uh, are probably oh. the best ocean food. And it's it's kind of sad because I've never had a scallop like the Pacific rock scallop until we got it ourselves because they're not commercially fished. So they don't resemble like the scallops we buy. Have yeah. you ever had raw scallops? Like fresh raw scallops with lemon? Yeah. Asking I, the wrong I guess one. that would be oh my, my death. Like diving for scallops and like you could literally eat them like an otter as you're swimming. Like um, there's just nothing like fresh scallops. Um, mm. And then... I don't know. We had dinner the other night and Dungeness crab with like that olive oil sauce. Oh, it's like an olive oil vinaigrette. Mm-hmm. That was really amazing. Mm. Uh, <laughs> barbecued rockfish, like just skin on barbecued rockfish mm-hmm. is one of my favorite things. What to are you have. drinking with all of this? Oh, a assortment of Shubly. Yeah. I yes. guess like yeah. Petit Chubly. Yeah, we like um good priced French wines. Uh like Petit Chablis. But if it's from, deathbed, babe. Yeah. Our favorite producer Gina and I's favorite producer is um Allison Olivier Damore, which is a a Chablis producer, a husband and wife team that um farm with a lot of good intent mm-hmm. and make natural wines in that area. That's what we had when we got married, and those are kind of our like very special occasion wines. Mm-hmm. Um, we also love um, white wines from the Jura, like the mm-hmm. um, Chardonnays from the Jura. Um, Beautiful, so mm-hmm. different, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and love Italian wines. I guess we went on a trip to Sicily um, and fell in love with Sicilian wines. Mm-hmm. We visited a producer named Oki Pinti. Ariana's like a queen she's just freaking amazing her knowledge and what she's built and she's my age and like it was just like oh my gosh what what how she grew was amazing um yeah well this is a lot of food and a lot of wine so i <laughs> we think keep going <laughs> i'm sure you could oh you guys are doing good stuff thank you for joining me in my backyard oh, yeah thank, thank you for you. having us of course. it's our pleasure Thanks for tuning in to Consumed, hosted by me, Janie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. You know, this season marks my 70th interview with California tastemakers, and I continue to feel lucky for getting to speak with so many cool people about flavor. As we move into 2021, please continue to lean into your local independent businesses wherever you are. They will need your support more than ever this winter. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.